This is Real Health Chats, real talk about health issues important to you and your family. I'm Dr. D. And I'm Becky, the doctor's wife. Welcome to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Real Health Chats. This is episode eight, and today we're going to be talking about heart health. We're actually going to get to some of the very basics of heart health, give some definitions, talk about tests and procedures, yeah, some things like that, right? Right, because one of the issues about going to the doctor is we often speak in our own language. Doctor speak. That's sometimes difficult to understand. And we say things and know what we mean. Uh, but patients may not understand it in the same way. So what we want to do today is start from the same foundation. And like you said, talk about some definitions, talk about some basic anatomy and physiology, and then also talk about some basic testing and what different tests are and maybe some different treatments. So we may not talk about specific cardiovascular diseases today, but we're going to get to that in the future. And so we thought this would be a good place to start. Okay, well, let's get started then. Okay, so we'll start with some basic anatomy. Uh, we know that there may be some of you out there who have an understanding of this already, uh, but there are some that don't. And so starting with a good foundation, I think, will help us all and then will also help us in future episodes uh, when we refer back to some of these things as well. So... The cardiovascular system is made up of the heart and the blood vessels that carry the blood from the heart to the rest of our body and from our body back to the heart. The heart is a muscular organ that has four chambers and it circulates blood to the rest of our body. So it acts like a pump. Yep, it's a pump. Pushing it out bringing it back in. Pushing it out, comes back in. All right. Back and forth. Another component to this is the pulmonary system. We're not going to be talking about that much today. That's the lungs. That's where air exchange occurs. And one of the functions of our blood is to carry oxygen to the rest of our body. It also carries nutrients that are absorbed from the digestive system to the rest of our body because all of our cells need oxygen need basic building blocks that we get from our food, and then need vitamins, minerals, and nutrients. So our cardiovascular system is responsible for pumping that stuff all around to help keep us alive. So we've talked about the heart. Another important component of our cardiovascular system is the arteries. The arteries are muscular tubes that carry blood from our heart to the rest of our bodies. Those arteries end in capillary beds, and that's where oxygen and nutrient exchange takes place at the cellular level. And then those capillary beds turn into veins that carry the deoxygenated blood back to our lungs, and then it's taken back to the heart. So it's called the circulatory system because the blood travels in a circle. For a minute, we were less basic, and now we're back to the basics. Back to the basics. <laughs> this is what we want to be. Quick recap. 
we've got the heart and we got the blood vessels, the arteries and the veins. So when we talk about the diseases that affect the cardiovascular system, we're talking about processes that affect the heart itself. And we're also talking about processes that affect the blood vessels, particularly the arteries. So now let's talk about some of the different disease states that can affect the cardiovascular system. This isn't going to be an exhaustive list, but we do want to talk about the main ones that you hear about. So I'm going to ask you a question, put you on the spot for just a minute, Becky. Uh Uh-oh. What do you think I mean if I say somebody has heart disease? I think about arteries being clogged and they might have a heart attack sometime. That's actually really good because that's typically what a doctor means when they say somebody has heart disease. Oh, wow. Points for me. Where's my cowbell? Very good. I don't know. (laughs) So a lot of times doctors use the phrase heart disease and cardiovascular disease and coronary artery disease kind of interchangeably. And what we're talking about is just what you described, a blockage in a blood vessel that carries blood to the heart itself. You had a quizzical look on your face. (laughs) Well, that's the vessels that carry blood to the heart are the veins, right? See, this is an (laughs) awesome question. So the heart is a muscular organ. And it requires oxygen and nutrients, just like the other organs. Okay, so there are arteries that carry oxygenated blood right into the heart also. Right. Okay. So there's arteries, just like you said, there's arteries that carry oxygenated and nutrient-rich blood from the heart to the heart. That blood is being pumped out of the heart through the aorta, which is the large blood vessel that exits the heart. And right as the aorta comes off the left ventricle, there are coronary arteries that carry fresh blood to the muscles. That is the heart. That is the heart to those cells that need it so they can maintain the pumping. So when we say somebody has coronary artery disease or heart disease, What we're meaning is that those arteries that are feeding the heart muscle are the ones that are narrowed or clogged or blocked. Okay, so it's not the arteries that are leaving the heart, or it could be also? Could be also, but when when we're talking about heart disease or coronary artery disease, we're talking about specifically about those blood vessels that are responsible for feeding the heart muscle itself. To keep it healthy. To keep it healthy. Okay. To keep it fed, to keep it oxygenated, so it can do its job of pumping blood to the rest of the body. So how many arteries feed the heart? So there are typically two main arteries that feed the heart. There's a left main coronary and a right main coronary, and then those split. But the important thing is to know is that the heart muscle itself is being fed by these coronary arteries. And when they start to get diseased, which means they get plaque buildup and they get narrowed, then that's what leads 
to the disease process we call coronary artery disease that then can progress to a heart attack. And that disease can also be called just heart disease, yeah. cardiovascular disease, right. things so, like that. Okay. So that's important to know when you're visiting with your doctor. If your doctor says you have heart disease, it's really the same thing as saying you have coronary artery disease, or sometimes they say CAD to, you know, abbreviate it, make it fast. It all basically means the same thing. And always ask what abbreviations mean. Yeah, that's important because <laughs> like we said in the beginning, doctors use their own language. And sometimes we just assume people are understanding what we're saying and they may not be at all. So that's why we wanted to do this so we could get a basic foundation. So I'm going to put you on the spot again. This is like my question. This is your test. What do we mean when we say somebody has heart failure? Their heart quit working. Well, that's also <laughs> called death. <laughs> well, I guess that's true. <laughs> but this is why we're doing this, right? Right. So not to put you on the spot, but to demonstrate the fact that, you know, when I say something that to me is very common, a patient may have no clue what I'm talking about. Yeah, I don't really know what heart failure means. Right. But I guess it doesn't mean death. It doesn't mean death. <laughs> it can lead to death, but it doesn't mean death. Earlier, we talked about the heart being a pump. When we say somebody has heart failure, it means that that pump isn't working as efficiently or as strongly as it normally would. So there's been some disease process that has decreased the heart's ability to pump as strong as it should. So it's not complete heart not working. It's just its function is reduced. Its function is reduced, right. That's a great way to think about it. So it's not able to pump as strong as it's supposed to. And that leads to symptoms like fatigue, shortness of breath, and swelling. Because if the pump isn't pumping normally, then it can lead to all those symptoms and problems that we see in heart failure. Okay. So we're not going to talk specifically a lot about heart failure today. We'll talk about that sometime in the future. But we want to make sure we're all on the same page about what heart failure means. And it means that the pump isn't working well. All right. That's a good basic way to say it. So now we'll talk about some of the problems that can occur in the arteries themselves. The same process that causes blockage in the coronary arteries also happens in other arteries in the body. Okay. So it can occur in arteries in the brain. And when those arteries get blocked or clogged, then it can lead to strokes. It can also occur in arteries in other parts of the body. And a real common place is in the arteries of the legs. And we call that peripheral vascular disease or peripheral arterial disease because it's in the periphery of the body and not in the heart. But it's the same type of process. So you've got a, a narrowing or a blockage in an artery in a leg, and that leads to decreased blood flow. And symptoms of that are pain or cramping with activity. Because when someone is active and either walking or jogging or running, climbing stairs, 
walking the mall. Do people walk malls anymore? Do people go to malls anymore? I don't know. But anyway, when people are active, if there's decreased blood flow to one of the legs or both of the legs, those muscles will become starved for oxygen and nutrients, and that becomes painful. That's different from just being sore because you've gone and walked the mall for the first time in five years. That is different. Yeah. <laughs> this is something that occurs with a certain level of activity. And then when that activity stops, it goes away. And it's all due to decreased blood flow. So as activity increases and a muscle demands more oxygen and nutrients to be able to keep up with the demand, those blood vessels aren't able to supply that demand. And so you get pain. Does that make sense? Yes, that okay. makes sense. So let's recap just for a second. We've talked about uh, the different disease states, which include heart disease or a coronary artery disease. We've talked a little bit about heart failure. We've talked about uh, peripheral arterial disease, also called peripheral vascular disease. So one thing that we just barely touched on that I think we ought to uh, go back to just for a second is what is a heart attack or a myocardial infarction is also what a heart attack is called. Infarction, Inf not infraction. Infarction, not infraction. <laughs> it's not a. It's not a myocardial rule breaking. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is breaking the rules if it's not working right. That is true. Good way to look at it. Infarction's a weird word. <laughs> infarction is a weird word. So it's infarction, which means the blood supply is cut off, which leads to tissue death. So a heart attack occurs when one of those coronary arteries that's responsible for feeding a portion of the heart gets completely clogged. So and blood can't get to it at so all. So blood can't get to it all. And that causes what we call ischemia. And ischemia means decreased blood flow. And if it lasts long enough, it'll lead to infarction, which means some of the tissue and cells have died because they're blood supply has been cut off for too long. So this occurs when an artery gets completely blocked. Well, that makes sense. That's a good explanation of what causes or what happens when someone has a heart attack. Has a heart attack, right. So when somebody says, I had a heart attack or I had a MI, which stands for myocardial infarction, that's what we're talking about. If someone has angina, have you heard of angina? Yes. So angina is just chest pain or heart pain that's caused by decreased blood flow. There's not a complete blockage, but the blood flow is decreased enough that with activity or stress, a person develops pain. Kind and of that, like you talked about in their legs, if they had artery right, that's right. problems in their legs. That's exactly right. So let's talk now for a few minutes about just some basic testing lingo, because we've got all kinds of diseases and things we've talked about. And the other thing that can be confusing is all these tests that we can do for cardiovascular disease. So we have EKGs and echoes and stress tests and heart caths. What's an EEG? Is that also associated with that or is that something completely different it's something completely different it's uh okay. it's with the brain okay 
So an EKG is evaluating the electrical activity as it goes through different parts of the heart. This test is helpful in many ways. It'll tell us if the heart is beating at a normal rate. It'll tell us if the heart is beating at a normal rhythm. And it can tell us if there's any pauses or delays in the rhythm. And it can tell us if there's any sign of ischemia or decreased blood flow to an area of the heart. So if somebody comes into an emergency room complaining of chest pain, one of the first thing that's going to get done is an EKG because there are specific tracings that tell us if somebody's having a heart attack or not. Because those tracings will show a change or a difference in rhythm or rate, things like that. Correct. Okay. So this test is done by putting electrodes on the chest, like heart monitor electrodes. Mm -hmm. And then there's a electronic machine that gathers that information and puts it on a tracing, either on a monitor on the wall or on a piece of paper. And then we can look at that and see if that electrical tracing looks normal or not. So this is a very helpful test. So the tracing is just the recording of that. Correct. And it's important to know what an EKG is because a person may show up and the doctor says, I want to do an EKG. And now you'll know what they're talking about. Right. Very good. So echocardiogram. Yes. Echocardiogram is an ultrasound of the heart. So they use an ultrasound machine to take pictures or images of the heart. And we can look at the different chambers of the heart. We can make sure the heart is pumping normally. So earlier when we talked about heart failure and how the heart isn't pumping as strongly as it should, we can use an echocardiogram to assess how well the heart is pumping. We can also look at all the valves of the heart and make sure they're functioning normally to let blood out of the chambers normally and keep blood from flowing back into the chambers abnormally. And you can see all of that in the ultrasound or the echocardiogram. That's right. There's an obvious difference between an electrocardiogram and an echocardiogram. Yes, there is. So sometimes that's confusing. Well, what's the difference between an EKG and an echo? Well, we've just talked about that. So now we know. Okay. How about a stress test? No, thank you. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't need a stress test. Although I've had to have a stress test before. So what do we use a stress test for? To see how our heart responds to stressors. Good. Because don't they do it where you have to run on a treadmill or something? That's what I've, that's what so, I've seen. That's right. The classic stress test is an exercise stress test and a person gets on a treadmill it gradually increases the intensity of the exercise. And that increased intensity makes the heart work harder, right? Because when you run or when you go upstairs, your heart has to pump harder right? to get blood to all those muscles that are working harder. And so we induce stress. And if there's some type of heart disease or coronary artery disease that's decreasing blood flow, to an area of the heart, then that will sometimes show up on the EKG tracing that they're doing while you're having a stress test. So you'd get the electrode monitors attached to you while you're doing the stress test. That's right. And so because we know what an abnormal tracing looks like, 
then we can tell if there's any areas of the heart that are getting decreased blood flow when we look at that EKG when the heart's put under stress. So that's an exercise stress test. Now, not everybody can do an exercise stress test. Some people have arthritis or they're just not in shape enough to get on a treadmill for 15 or 20 minutes. Or there may be other problems that make it impossible for somebody to get on a treadmill. So we have what are called pharmaceutical or chemical stress tests and medications are used to make the heart beat stronger and harder. So we're inducing stress chemically and we can get the same type of result that would show if there's any decreased blood flow to any areas of the heart. I have a picture of an interrogation room with somebody coming in with their little needles to stress you out so you tell them the truth. (laughs) (laughs) I've been watching too many spy shows. That's a good way to look at it. (laughs) Now, sometimes we will use an echocardiogram as part of the stress test. So someone can walk or have a chemical stress test, and then they'll have an echocardiogram too to see if there's any areas of the heart that aren't pumping well when the heart is under stress. This is a really super important and non-invasive test that we can do to test the likelihood that somebody might have heart disease. So a person might have multiple tests at the same time or over a period of time when they're looking to check their heart health? Yeah. So if somebody shows up, like say an emergency room and is complaining of chest pain, they're for sure going to have an EKG. They're going to have some lab work done. There's a chance they might have a stress test done pretty quickly, depending on the type of facility that they're in. Or they may have the next test done that we're going to talk about, which is a heart cath. Or a heart catheter. Or heart catheter or heart catheterization. (laughs) So all of these things mean the same thing. This test is done by inserting a catheter into an artery. For a long time, the artery that was used was a groin artery called the femoral artery. And so a catheter is put in, a guide wire is run up the artery until it gets into the aorta, and then they're eventually able to get that catheter into the coronary arteries. And then they're able to use dye and x-rays to look at those coronary arteries to see if there's any type of blockage. So that's done differently now? What do you mean? You said used to. Oh, yeah. So they still do it through the groin, but some places or some centers are now using the artery in the wrist called the radial artery. But it's, it's done through an artery. The catheter goes to the heart and they're able to use dye and x-ray to check the blood flow through the coronary arteries. So if somebody fails a stress test, they're going to need a heart cath. If they show up in the ER and they're having a heart attack and they're at a facility that has the capability, they may go straight to the cath lab and have a heart cath. Because another thing they can do when they do a heart cath is treat the coronary artery disease with a stent or an angioplasty. And they can do that where they've already put in a catheter? Yes. Okay. 
they can. Okay, so well, let's recap our testing now. We've talked about EKGs. We've talked about echocardiograms. We've talked about stress tests. And we've talked about a heart cath. Now, remember, we're being really general on these tests. Uh, we may talk about them more specifically when we talk about other topics. More specifically and more procedural-based, what yeah. to expect, things like that. Yeah. But basically, we want people to know what they are, what the definitions are. What if the doctor says, we, you need to go have a stress test, what that really means, things like that. Exactly. Because like we said earlier, this can be really confusing to people. What's the difference between an EKG and echocardiogram? I ask people all the time if they've ever had an echocardiogram, and they might say, sure. And so I go look for the test, and all they've had is an EKG. So people, people don't often know the difference. And so I think getting this good foundation will be very helpful, not only for future podcast subjects, but for our listeners who we're trying to give this information to. Okay, so finally, now let's talk about some of the procedures that might be used to treat some of these problems. So the first one we mentioned just a minute ago, and that's a stent placement or an angioplasty. So angioplasty and stent are two slightly different things. Okay, that was going to be my next question when you said to have stent placement or angioplasty. So I wasn't sure if you meant they were the same thing or they were two different things. So what is the difference between them? So the angioplasty was the procedure that was developed first. And basically what they do is when they get the catheter in the coronary artery that's blocked, the tip of that catheter has a balloon that they can blow up and stretch out the blockage. You have a vessel that's closed by some type of blockage, a plaque of some kind, and it's reducing the blood flow to that area of the heart, causing angina or a heart attack. So they put the catheter in there. The catheter goes through the area that's closed off. And then on the tip of that catheter is a balloon. And so they'll fill the balloon up and it stretches the opening. It opens up the area that's narrowed. And then they take the catheter out and some of the blood flow is improved. That was the first procedure that was developed. Not long after that, they thought, hey, what if we put something in there that we could leave? And that's called a stent. So the procedure is basically the same, but instead of the balloon blowing up just the blood vessel, when the balloon pumps up, it puts a stent in, which is usually a metal, like a mesh. The stent is on the tip of the catheter, and when the balloon blows up, it expands the stent which then stays a permanent size and they pull the catheter out and the blood vessel is back to its normal size. So with just angioplasty, sometimes the blood vessels will close back down a little bit. With a stent, it keeps it open. Okay, that makes sense. And so the blockage can be relieved and blood flow can be restored. A stent can also be used to treat peripheral vascular disease or peripheral arterial disease. So if somebody has a blockage in an artery in their leg, a stent can be placed there. Okay. So these things can be used in other areas as well. 
the next procedure we'll talk about is bypass surgery. Okay, because this is something I do have some questions about. Okay. Well, you start. You, you want me to start? Okay. You start, and then I'll ask So questions. we're going to be very basic here. Bypass surgery is performed when a blockage is too severe for angioplasty or stenting to treat it completely. And that can be because there's multiple blockages in the same vessel, or it's just so severely blocked that one or even two stents aren't going to do any good. And sometimes that happens after someone has already had stents yes. put in too. So yes. it's not always the first course of action. Not always. That's right. Sometimes we know a person has bad coronary artery disease and just stents won't help them anymore. And sometimes it's done when there are multiple blood vessels affected. So they do bypass surgery by taking a blood vessel from another part of the body and going around the blockage. So they take a blood vessel from another part of the body and make a little bypass, yeah. like a little overpass like or an underpass, yep. a little loop around the congested artery. Yep. So if you can picture a straw with a pinch in the middle that won't let liquid go through, what you would do is take another flexible straw and cut on one side of the pinch and sew it on. And then you take the other end and sew it on the other, on side, the of the other side of the pinch. So the blood can go around or bypass the blockage. When people say double bypass, triple bypass, quadruple bypass, that means they had that many blockages. It means they had that many bypass grafts done. Okay. So they had that many blockages. So there could be more blockages. So one blood vessel could have three or four blockages in it, but it would only take one graft to bypass that whole area. Okay. So that would be one bypass. So usually the number of bypasses is the number of vessels that are being treated okay. with that procedure. So if somebody has quadruple bypass, it means they had four areas that were bypassed, four blockages or four vessels that were blocked that needed to be bypassed. All right. That makes much more sense. Good. Not that it didn't make sense before. I just hadn't thought about it very much. Right. But it's, when you get that picture in your mind, you kind of understand what's going on. So the blood vessels can be harvested from the leg, which is kind of typical. They'll get veins out of the leg and they'll use those to bypass those areas on the coronary arteries. And they're able to cut a piece out and then stitch back together where the other... Okay, wait a minute. So how do they get the blood vessel out of the leg, what, what happens there? What they do is find the vein that they're looking for and they'll just cut a section out of it and they'll use some type of clip to clip the ends and then they'll take the piece out and then that's what they'll use to attach to the coronary arteries to bypass the areas that are blocked. So what happens to this vein that they've taken the piece out of? I'm just trying to picture it in my head. Okay. And Do, I'm I'm not having a good picture. Okay. It's, it seems like now we have this 
loose, empty tube where things are used to be flowing and now okay. they're not. So. I, I can understand the confusion. So let's let's do a mental image in our head okay. that might be helpful. <laughs> the arterial system is like a tree, right? You get the artery that's like the trunk of the tree and then the branches branch out smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Right. Right. The venous system is similar to that upside down. So you've got the branches that come back from small to bigger, to bigger, to bigger, except there's branches that cross between some of those more distant, smaller branches. Okay. Okay. Can you picture that? A little bit, yes. Mm -hmm. So if you take out one piece, there's an area for it to go around that and back up. Because there's other pieces that because are connected. There's, because there's branches... There's multiple branches connecting. Yes. Okay. So well, it's not just like the the tree that's coming up toward the trunk. There's branches that cross branches. <laughs> okay. I, I don't know if that makes sense or not. Well, I was. But just... the branches are connected by cross pieces is a good way to think about okay. it. Okay. So there's still a way for it to flow. I was just yes. picturing this tube that you've now taken a, taken a piece out taken of a piece out of and you close it at both ends and things aren't going where they're supposed to go so anymore. the venous system has some natural bypasses okay it's a good way to think about it so the blood can flow around that area that we take out okay well i may have tried to make that way more complicated <laughs> than it was to explain but. well i mean that's really cool it's cool how our body works and that we're able to correct things that have gone awry it is cool how people have yeah. discovered ways that, that that can be done. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. I just I wasn't quite sure how that worked. Okay. Very good. To recap just a little bit on the procedures, we've talked about angioplasty and stent placement and coronary artery bypass graft surgery, sometimes called cabbage, C-A-B-G. <laughs> okay. Cabbage. Cabbage. If a doctor says, oh, you had four vessel cabbage and somebody goes, what <laughs> the heck? That means you had four vessels that had coronary artery bypass graft surgery. Not coleslaw. Not coleslaw. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. So I hope this has been helpful. This has been kind of a fun episode to do and talk about. This is the kind of stuff I really enjoy talking about. I do not have time in my busy day at my office to spend this much time talking about this stuff with my patients. And that's the point of this podcast is to spend that time with you, the listeners, that uh, we hopefully can be helpful and provide information that is meaningful and useful. And that you'll know it's important that you ask questions because most of you are probably like me and haven't studied these things and don't know what these things are if you haven't experienced them or had a family member that experienced them. And there's no question you should be worried about asking your doctor. You should be able to go in and get clarification and ask until you understand it. Right. We as doctors are very bad about assuming people just understand what we're talking about. It's good to ask questions. It's good to ask clarifying questions. It's good to study things on your own, too. And it's good to listen to our podcast. So <laughs> we're grateful for you for listening today. We appreciate the good feedback that we've had. 
And we encourage everybody to subscribe and reach out to us. Yes, subscribe and share it with your friends. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Real Health Chats and also on our website at realhealthchats.com. Please send us any questions you might have. Give us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. See you next time. What was discussed today is for information only and is not meant to replace or override advice from your physician.